Hi, this is Jeff Stone of Grandpa's Fried Barbecue from the Panhandle of Florida, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine, how you doing? You have a great show, I'm a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet for wiener. So listen, Lavernius, shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. <laughs> top men. And just like that, we are into the second hour of the Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about only the most important live fire barbecue and grilling topics that are gracing the live fire landscape. Where do we do it from? Palm City, USA, Cleveland. It is live right now from 9 to 11 every Tuesday. It's also being recorded, so if you can't catch it live, you can catch it in the podcast. Hour number one will appear at some point overnight, and hour number two will appear... Uh, podcast feed on thursday i'll tell you about friday here in just one second what was that who's still to come on the show tonight well i'm glad you asked Susie and todd bullock from heygrillhay.com will be joining us in about 13 minutes from now don't forget you can follow me socially at bbq central show on instagram twitter tiktok and the snapper snaps slash bbq central show on facebook and twitch for a live video feed also Slash R.D. Rempe on YouTube, if you would prefer that. There's a lively chat going on over on YouTube as well. A couple uh, Twitch chats as well. I see you people out there. So if I'm not reacting, it doesn't mean that I don't see you. It's just that I'm not always reacting to the chat because I don't get, you know, I learned many years ago. What did I learn? Well, you have this chat going on and it's scrolling up and down and all of a sudden you're interviewing somebody, but now you've lost yourself into the chat, reading people bickering back and forth with each other. And guess what? The guests stopped talking. That's bad. It's a bad interview technique. So I learned peruse every now and again. If something really hits, then you'll see it pop up on the screen. But otherwise, I'm just, I, I see everybody. Don't worry about it. Don't get offended if I'm not saying your name or whatever you're supposed to do when the real YouTube live people do it. Get super chats and say, hey, Tim2824, thanks for coming in, pal. That's not this kind of a show. But I see you. So I'm recognizing you all right now. I see all of you and I see everything that you're writing. I just most of the time don't bother reacting to it. And that's fine. Also, we are live audibly on Clubhouse as well. I see our friend Stover is in. Johnny Maggs. We'll see Johnny Maggs on the show in a couple weeks. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less. Episode 242. Taking you back to August 18th, 2015. Yes, seven years ago. This week, we feature the one and only to date interview that I have done with the new barbecue darling of Texas, maybe not new, but certainly a name that 
you're not overly familiar with when it comes to the old standbys that have been dominating year after year. His name, Ernest Cervantes. I say, again, new for the folks who only know of Ernest recently due to the major success and rave reviews of the restaurant in Seguin, Texas. However, Ernest has been in the barbecue game a long time. When he was really competing, he was very successful. He spent time in fine dining restaurants, classically chained chef. To simply put it, Ernest can flat out cook in any form or fashion, and it's live fire that seems to have really piqued his interest and caught his passion. And his guests are reaping the rewards, and the praise is early and often and in large doses. I've never heard of Seguin, Texas in my life until Ernest opened Burnt Bean, and I want to get down there to say, A, I was in Seguin, but more importantly, to eat in Ernest's restaurant. Plus, they talk about that brunch that he serves. That might be better than the actual barbecue itself. Maybe it should be a two-day event. Look, this was a great look into who Ernest was at the time. Again, we're going on seven years ago, well before the restaurant, and what he was looking to do in the years ahead. However, I think what you hear most clearly through this interview is how good of a guy and how humble of a guy Ernest was back then and still is. Uh, this is going back to 2015. So look forward to that. Again, you have to be subscribed to the podcast feed in order to get the best of show. And you can also send John an email and ask him, to play another guest or segment again that might have become lost in the archives. John's email, J-O-N, at thebbqcentralshow.com. That's J-O-N at thebbqcentralshow.com. And he will do his best to meet your show expectation. Upcoming shows for the balance of August include visits from the bristly barbecue journalist Derek Riches from DerekRiches.com. Chris Young from Combustion Inc., CEO over there. The embedded correspondents show up on the fourth Tuesday in the second hour for some 100% assurity questions, and we have a number of topics to get their opinions on. John Furman from Bub and Mothers Rubs comes in for the first time, and a group interview with none other than cigar expert and my go-to man when it comes to sourcing good sticks, Mr. Jonathan from the Cigar Authority Podcast. And as I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, Johnny Mags, who is the host of the Pit Life Barbecue Podcast. A couple weeks ago, those two went head-to-head at the Two Guys Smoke Shop in New Hampshire in a burger bash. I'm not going to tell you who won, but it wasn't Mr. Jonathan. And we're going to have them recount that whole competition, where it went bad for Mr. J, where Johnny Mags exceeded and then blew past Mr. Jonathan in order to capture this title. I'm not giving anything away because it was all released a number of weeks ago on a different show, but I want to get the inner workings, the thought processes behind why you build this kind of a burger, why you build that kind of burger, and also show where the expertise lies between the two. I don't know Mr. Jonathan to be any type of food competitor other than some type of a meatball contest that two guys holds every year that he's never won. And then you have a somewhat of a competitive cook in Johnny Mags, he knows how to build boxes. He knows how to bring attention to a dish in a positive fashion. And he was not building burgers for him. I'm speaking for Johnny. I could be wrong. He's building burgers to win. 
And I think that's where a lot of people get confused, especially in the world of barbecue. You're always told, don't cook barbecue the way you want to eat it. Cook it for the judges. That's who is going to vote for you in order to win. So that's what you want to do. So that's what's going to be coming up for the balance of August. Where do I have time to go? Well, we talked about it with Rod. I'll talk about it now, and then I can just get this off the queue list. Is anybody watching Barbecue USA on the Food Network with my best pally or bestie for the resty, Mike Simon? Anybody? I don't watch it live on Monday nights because it's a little too late for me. In fact, this is too late for me, but I got through it because I've become accustomed to doing it for the last 16 years. A lot of people answering yes in the instant chat. So the follow-up question, if you're watching it, is it is it just because it's some form of barbecue on television, number one? And then what do you think the biggest wins are doing this? We've seen barbecue on television a number of times. We've seen it, especially on Food Network, a number of times. It doesn't always seem to pan out very well on the Food Network a lot of the time. I've heard rumblings. I believe Emily Detweiler made some type of a reference into saying she thinks or maybe she heard that Barbecue USA was going to be renewed for a second season. We know the longevity that Barbecue Pitmasters had. Now, whether you agree or disagree with the various formats that that show went through over its lifespan, I think it won 11 seasons. And you heard Rod talk about when he was on with season six or season seven, went on for four or five more seasons, depending on what right season Rod was on. That was a long-running barbecue show. Again, not my cup of tea. I'm not contest guy. I don't really dig those. But I'm obviously in the minority of thinking like that. I would rather have a following of one or two teams, but following them... In totality, I want to see what's going on at home. I want to see them getting ready for a competition. I want to see teamwork. I want to see bickering. Then I want to see them get to the competition, do the competition. Does it matter if they win or not? Now, who cares? But barbecue is just a part of it. As I've always said, you watch Deadliest Catch. Guess what's going to happen in every show? They're going to fish. That happens all the time. But you, it's almost a second thought because you're more invested or you've become invested in the captains of the ships or the guy that runs the hydros or the newest greenhorn that's vomiting over the ship 20 minutes into the trip. I think that can be a recipe that works. Obviously I'm wrong, but even Leanne Whippen said last week, there was a season two of what was that first season's format on Barbecue Pitmasters before there was some kind of a spat between networks and they changed the format. I still think it can work. It's proving out on television every other way except in the barbecue scene. You tell me barbecue people aren't interesting, that people won't build relationships with them? Give me a break. They're more relatable than anybody else. Is anybody relating to the Kardashians? Look, you still watch them. I mean, I know I have a private jet, they have a private jet, but that's where the similarities end. 
Susie and Todd Bullock are in the green room. We'll get to them here in just one second. I'll talk to you quickly about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue, a curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies, getting you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Big Papa's known for the championship rubs and seasonings, popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, all proven winners on the competition circuit and in backyards. 13 perfectly balanced flavors that transform ordinary meals into extraordinary. Also, the owner of Granny's Barbecue Sauce. If you're looking for a new go-to sauce that will please everybody or you're tired of what's existing out there, give Granny's a try. Great all by itself out of the bottle, or if you want to use it as base sauce and trick it out from there, certainly your prerogative. Aside from the premium selection of rubs and sauces, Big Papa Smokers also offers the very best cookers available on the market today. If you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, check out that Mac 2-star General Pellet Cooker. Big Papa Smokers, the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. Not a fan of pellet smokers? All right. Don't know what grill you might want? Okay. Call them, 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. And ask away. They'll make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need. Or shop the website, bigpopsmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A-Smokers.com. We are back with Susie and Todd from Hey Grill Hey. Right after this, stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the number two most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield. Head on over to smithfield.com right now for recipes, tips, and tricks from well-known live fire cooks like Darren Worth, Jeff Priles, and Charles Cridlin. With mouth-watering flavor and no artificial ingredients, Smithfield Fresh Pork is quite simply some of the finest pork money can buy and the trusted choice of top cooks for use in competitions and at home. That's Smithfield and the website smithfield.com. All right, leading off the second hour and joining me for their quarterly visit here in 2022, the creator of Hey Grill Hay, one of the most recognizable and popular names in the live fire space. Many things continuing to transpire here in the live fire space since our last visit, so we waste no more time racing to the hotline and welcoming back Susie and Todd Bullock from Hey Grill Hey. Hey Grill Hey, you two. I have no sound. Yeah. Make sure you close out the whole browser if you change settings and then come back in. That'll work. Assuming you may change. All right. Away they go. Much like Rod Gray wouldn't listen to me. How dare you? Any sound? My 
headphones weren't working either. Something's wrong, and I don't know how to fix it. Normally, we're very prepared, but we had technical equipment fail on us. Audio's today. like my thing, so I'm kind of embarrassed. The uh, the audio-visual scene at Hey Grill Hey needs a little hang at this point. Yeah. 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 Both of your opinions, Susie, you go first. Is $34 a pound for brisket too much at this point? Yes. Todd? Wait. Oh, Wait, all right. Cooked or uncooked? Cooked. <laughs> no, cooked. Like if you're going to a barbecue restaurant. <laughs> yeah, $34 a pound for uncooked brisket is way too much. <laughs> That's astronomical. Yeah, that is it, ridiculous. It jumped from 20 to 30 real quick. Someone's doing 34.99. Uh, um there are, there are many restaurants. Uh, now, I looked a lot in Texas because that's where I associate brisket. And there were plenty at 34, uh, Franklin, Black's, uh, Le Barbecue. Some of them, I'm not saying they were hiding it, but they were also selling by the half pound at $17 a pound. But Todd, you're a CPA, so you can do the quick math. That's $34 a pound. And not only that, but here in Cleveland, tomorrow I'm going to Michael Simon's Mabel's Barbecue Restaurant, who is also selling at the half pound at 17 bucks. So it's not just Texas. It's not just somewhere relegated to a region of the country. It appears to be even in places as dismal as Cleveland. So that seems like a lot. Um, I think that's really expensive, but I also know what costs are associated from a restaurant end when it comes to food costs. Um, and brisket has a lot of costs associated that aren't just product related. You're looking at volume loss during the cooking process. So your yield is very different than your raw cost. You're also looking at fuel costs. You're looking at property costs for restaurants, but also the labor that goes into actually producing that product is very different than most other food types. I mean, just the hours that it takes to prep, cook, rest, and serve is astronomical. Um, I also know that a lot of these restaurants are trying to pay their employees in a way that makes sense, given the environment that we're currently living in. And inflation has hit people across the board, but food costs and restaurants have been specifically struck um, and those who are lucky enough to survive the pandemic are now figuring out how to make margins. So I think eating at a restaurant is a privilege in general. I think it's something that with low food costs, we have taken advantage of for a majority of our lives. We've set an expectation in our brains that it should be cheap, fast and easy. And I don't think that's the case with barbecue anymore. I think, you know, restaurant owners are combating a lot, a lot, a lot. And if we want to eat out, we have to recognize that for the privilege that it is. <laughs> that means that we're probably going to pay for it. Todd, your thoughts? I mean, I the, the Disneyland effect popped in my brain, right? So they keep upping the prices and upping the prices and upping the prices because they can because the demand's there. So if you know, if you don't want to pay 34.99, I guess don't go eat there. You spend your dollars somewhere else. But, you know, if I want to go try the best barbecue in Texas, then I'm probably going to shell out 34.99 a pound. If that's what they're charging, I guess that's what I'm going to pay. One of the things I wanted to talk about this evening or, or give you platform to do. I don't know how much you've done it on your own uh, social medias and websites. I would assume a pretty decent amount, but for my fans, we know your products. A lot of people are big fans of your products, but 
there might be two new things that are going to be hitting the hay grill hay line. So tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, we just gave a sneak peek. So we have our grill squad. It's our online barbecue community and virtual kind of barbecue and grilling school. Uh, they get a lot of sneak peeks when it comes to products and all of that. So we just broke this to these guys. So now we're allowed to share it <laughs> right. with the community at large. But we're launching our rib rub and a uh, mustard style oh. zesty gold sauce is what we're calling it. That's coming out in the next couple of weeks. And these are fun ones for us because we're, we're out here in Utah. Um, and when it comes to something like a dry rib rub, you, you automatically think Memphis or a mustard sauce, you mm -hmm. think South Carolina. Uh, but being out here, we really have the opportunity to put our own spin on a lot of things. So I feel like these are my homage to these barbecue regions that have really influenced my cooking overall. But I get to put, you know, kind of my own spin on things and and twist them up. So those will be coming out uh, hopefully by the end of the month. We're shooting to have them ready for ship for Labor Day. So you don't already have a rib rub. I have a sweet rub, and that one's yep, kind of an all-purpose barbecue rub, and we use it on ribs. Uh, but the rib rub is a little bit different. It pulls more savory. It has things like celery, celery seed in it that I think you know. Like I said, that's that kind of one of those classic barbecue rub ingredients. Uh, but it also has a couple other things in there that are pretty unique to this specific seasoning and I think gives it a little something extra. Todd, so. are you a mustard sauce fan? Um, typically, I haven't been, but the more that I use it, this new one, I really, really like it. Also, I put it on everything so he doesn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting to love it by association. Yeah, He's going to love it. Um, when we're testing new products or when I'm testing new recipes for the website, it gets to the point where it's like, okay, I could probably never eat ribs again, or I could probably never eat this thing again, because it is, it's really, it's a really rigorous process to get the flavor profiles, the consistency, all the stuff that I want. It's, it's so much work and a lot of eating and I mean, we call him taste test Todd. The poor man has his own hashtag. So like it has to be Todd approved before it hits anywhere. And so he has to eat a lot of it. <laughs> I had a favorite mustard-based sauce. And this is going back a number of years before even the podcast when I just had the barbecue forum back in the day. It was uh, Carolina, South Carolina. It was called Reverend Marvin's. It's not manufacturing anymore. There was a normal and a spicy version. Very thin, very flavorful, had a nice spice to it. I actually put it in coleslaw and made a mustard-based yeah. sauce, coleslaw. When you're developing specifically this sauce, you could there's a billion Kansas City sauces and a billion Piedmont right. sauces, but, but this is traditionally a very hyper-regional sauce dedicated to even just a portion of South Carolina. It doesn't encompass all of yep. South Carolina. So how do you know you're doing it right? I think this is one of those things where we get to say that we're inspired by, but I'm from Utah. So if I do it wrong, sorry. Um, I think <laughs> that's a big risk. I think, I, well, yeah, I think it's a big risk, but I also think, you know, barbecue is and has been historically hyper regional, but I think with, you know, the, insurgence of barbecue as a backyard event for more and more and more Americans and the internet being as open and as accessible as it is. Uh, these regional flavors are having a national stage right now and the opportunity to be 
tasted and tweaked and distributed in a way that maybe it was hyper regional in terms of restaurants serving it, but now anybody can make or have a Carolina style sauce that's mustard based in their own kitchen and in their backyard. So uh, it's, I think we're going to see people using these traditional recipes in different ways. I think we're going to see people taking this, you know, classic form of something that they were inspired by and tweaking it to suit their family and their taste. I mean, my mustard sauce, I can already tell you pulls just a hint sweeter than I think what you would get in a traditional South Carolina style sauce. Um, it has a little bit more honey in it. And that's, that's a preference that we, we love and we develop. And I think it creates a really nice balance. Um, but like you said, I mean, even then the stuff that is hyper regional and super specific, it's never identical. Um, everybody that recreates it does it their own way. And otherwise it would just be carbon copies. And then there would be no regional anything anywhere. It would all just be the same everywhere. So I think we, we approach stuff like this with respect for where it came from and an appreciation for how it started. And then, you know, also realize that things are meant to grow and things are meant to be touched and tweaked and played with. So Let's follow up on that a little bit. You have a pretty healthy products offering portfolio at the time. Now you're adding two things or you've just added yeah. two new things to that. Do you and Todd talk regularly about an ideal number of products to have available in the market at any given time? I don't think we've talked about a specific thing. I just know we're, or a specific number. I just know we're being really careful to not do too many things to the point where we kind of, we want to build a baseline and then maybe we do uh, limited edition things or seasonal things or whatever, just to keep it interesting. Um, but yeah, we're now at six rubs and six sauces and I, I don't think we should go any higher than that, to be honest. Yeah, we really don't have any plans to. And honestly, getting to six and six came from our operations manager at the warehouse who said, you know, six bottles fit in a box a lot better than five. <laughs> um, and so we took it to our community online and we said, what do you guys want to see? Um, if we, we, we didn't even intend to roll one more out. We were like five and five. That's great. And he was like, literally, we're paying the same in shipping, whether you have five or six. So I think it's probably a good idea to have six and then you're you're not wasting space in a box. Um, so our audience came back and leaned really heavily towards they want these regional style sauces. You know, our top two were the Carolina mustard sauce and the Alabama white sauce that people wanted to see in bottled format. And I think that plays into what you were saying. It, it has been this hyper regional. It has been this small subset of the barbecue population that had access to these types of flavors um, and these types of sauces or seasonings. And now to be able to have access to more stuff like that, I think is really cool. If you were going to be, if you were going to be adding more products at this point, we're talking hypothetically, would you then perhaps take a look at what the least selling by volume or if you were going to be adding to, would you, if you're going to add to, would you look at the bottom two and then consider retiring those? Yeah, potentially. Yeah. The hard part about that is that every single one of our rubs and sauces has like a loyal following. <laughs> and so we'll ask people, you know, what's your favorite? And it's across the board. Like, yes, some sell much more than others on the website in terms of like people buying them and their popularity and whatever. But 
there are people that just love this one rub or love this one rub or sauce them. So I would feel so bad. <laughs> I'd have to like send them their own little stockpile before we discontinued it or something. I don't know. Susie and Todd Bullock joining us here on the show. HeyGrillHey.com, the website, of course. Todd, what's the foodie at podcast? Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, so Susie released the, I guess we did, we released the Hey Grill Hey app. And I was out to lunch with some friends. And I have this friend who is a self-proclaimed idiot when it comes to food who He's like, dude, I downloaded your app and I've been using it to build shopping lists and menu plans and go shopping and cook for my family. And it's changed our lives. Nice. And I want to start a podcast about us being idiots, talking and learning about food. <laughs> so that that's where it came from. It's just me and two of my best friends just talking about food. Not to get into the weeds of podcasting here, but I'm kind of a pro. Do you put together a like? Is it a weekly release? I mean, let's start from the from the high levels here. What kind of a release schedule do you have for this? Yeah, so we do like a Sunday night release, and we have it planned out. Um, you know, it's it's edited and it's planned out and edited. You know, a week in advance, probably, and we've got two or three in the back pocket usually, so we can. If we miss, if we if we take a week off of recording, then we're not behind, kind of a thing. So, is the is the major importance then to make sure that you keep that buffer amount in the can, just in case? Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard this guy or gal has this great idea, they're burning about it, and they're releasing once a week or whatever the initial release schedule is, but then like after a quarter, they start to fade a little bit, and then. The, Another quarter later, it's like instead of once a week, it's once a month, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're they're gone. And their most recent episode was five years ago. So, how how are you strategically planning to guard against what we call pod fade? <laughs> that's that's a great question. Well, luckily, we're we're really we grew up really good friends. We had kind of a time when we were building careers and families where we didn't spend a lot of time together, and we've realized we missed that. So now it's very motivating to get together at least weekly to record. And we all live in the same town now and we didn't before. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, is we have a list of a hundred plus ideas for episodes. And then we're literally weeks and months scheduled out. We know exactly what we're going to be talking about, you know, for weeks and weeks. And then we just, keep that plan going. And as long as the plan's there, I think we'll keep going. So, Is there a temptation to go the easy uh, number of times to the well and pull Susie into a recording? I mean, she's a draw, right? Listen, they waited 25 episodes before they invited me on no as a shit. guest. Wow, good for yes. you. That's, good. Also, That's impressive. I, I would have had you on number that. one. Forget about it. <laughs> I offered. <laughs> I think they had a little bit of, you know, they wanted to do it on their own and yeah. they wanted to build something that was their own. And I think they did have a little bit of that fear of like this, this might fizzle out. So they didn't even really start promoting until they had a whole handful of episodes in the bag because I feel like they really wanted to be an established place where people could have a backlog of things to talk about. And personally, like, 
I say this as Todd's wife, but also as a listener, the way that they structure their podcast is really relatable. I think a lot of people grew up in kind of the convenience food era of, you know, the 80s and 90s with moms going back to work and latchkey kids and having food that was available. And so when they say that they were foodie, it's they're not lying. Like they just ate fast food or convenience food and never learned how to cook until they were in their 30s. Um, and as they were talking to people, they realized that a lot of a lot of people our age were having similar experiences. And I think the pandemic specifically forced a lot of people into learning how to cook that previously didn't have that information. So it's really fun to listen and follow along with their journeys because they start each episode with the appetizer and they talk about a topic that they know nothing about. Um, and so they just bounce questions that you wouldn't think would be a question if you're in the food world, but to people who are new or learning, like a lot of things that they're asking are, are, are common sense and maybe you wouldn't think to Google them or you wouldn't, you know, uh, but it's really relatable. And then they, they take a week to research all of their questions <laughs> and get back together the next week and then go through and answer their questions and have conversations and, and kind of learn together about things that they didn't know about before. And I think they get to take the listener on that journey with them. So it's funny, it's insightful. I think you learn a lot about food, more about things than you even realized you, you didn't know. So even if you're not a foodie <laughs> to begin with, you know, there's something that you can glean from it. And I think he's cute and they're fun. You know, what I think is most admirable about that whole lead portion of the podcast, Todd, is you guys are putting yourself out there to say, hey, maybe I'm not as knowledgeable as the next guy or gal. And here I'm offering my shortcomings to you. And there has to be a large, as Susie was saying, there's got to be a large portion of that audience is like, well, I would never ask anybody that question out loud or I would, there's no way I would do it. I'm so happy there's this guy, Todd, and his other food idiot friends who are openly discussing everything I've ever feared about talking about other people with. And not only that, they're relatable in that aspect, but now you're giving solutions or you're providing information on top of that. And that's what having a successful podcast is all about, right? It's supplying a great interview or some kind of great educational piece, but then also making it entertaining uh, on top of that. So um, what's the, what's your biggest hope or your biggest guest get, or like what's the, the stretch goal for the podcast? Other than Greg Rampey? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Then it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pod fade right there. Um, I don't know. You're, you're talking about like an Alton Brown or something like that, you know, a really yeah. smart person with food. Like, I don't know if he's the one, but just someone like that, you know, uh, um, I, one of my, my one buddy's a huge fan of Sam, the cooking guy. And that's, that's his, that's one of his dream lands. So, uh, one of us might know him pretty well. I know. So maybe if you need help, maybe I can help out. Uh, I suppose this is something you can subscribe to on any podcast platform. Yeah, any podcast, any podcast platform is just the Foodie It Podcast, and then on social media at Foodie It Podcast on all of them, we're posting frequently, and we're having a lot of fun, and we're learning a lot. And as you, if you tune in and listen, you'll see that we have a long way to go. But I think that's the beauty of it: is we we're we're like no, we're idiot. Not only are we food idiots we're also podcast idiots so we're learning as we go that's the only way to do it learning as you go and then leaning on the people 
that have expertise when you need questions answered. That's what it's all about. Plus, two new products that we've also discovered here this evening, a rib rub and a mustard-based barbecue sauce rub uh, that will be heading out. HayGrillHay.com, the website. There's Susie right there on the left and Todd right there on the right. Guys, always appreciate you coming on for the quarterly visits, and we do it again before the year's up, so looking forward to that. Next time, we'll have a real microphone. All right, fingers crossed, and I'll hold you to it. Susie and Todd Bullock, HayGrillHay.com. If you would like to go over and grab the rib rub. Again, I was surprised was surprised they hadn't had a rib rub already out. But I have the sweet rub, and it's not. What did I say about Bub and Mothers? I'm a sweet rub guy, and it's really good. So I'll be excited to try out the rib rub because I also love ribs. All right, uh, quick read here. We'll get some crowd reaction, and then we might call it a night here a little bit earlier than normal. What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they are fuel efficient. We love you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that you can get rip-roaring high heat for grilling of steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers? The ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking, very important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire and a round ceramic cooker is not very realistic. Why? Because it's round. Enter Primo Grills and their game-changing oval design. The shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup that you desire. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. Really, when you break it down, there are more than 60 different ways to configure a Primo cooker. So you're only limited by your culinary imagination, the website primogrill.com. And if you missed it, if you don't subscribe to the show, you don't follow me socially, I mean, if you don't subscribe to me on the podcast, then you missed a bonus content with the president of Primo Grill, Nick Bauer. Primo Grill had their Primo Bash first annual over this past weekend in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. It was at their manufacturing facility. They had plant tours. Dealers were there. Distributors were there. Primo customers were there. 2B Primo customers were also there taking plant tours, seeing how everything was made. And as Nick said, totally American-made. Not like some of the other stuff that claims were there bringing it in, but then they're assembling. Gets a little gray area there when you're throwing the good old U.S. of A. around. Don't you think? Yes. Well, not here. It's all right here in the States, and they can prove it because the manufacturing facilities are all right there. The ceramics portion of that business right across the street. Primogrill.com. That's Primogrill.com. Find a dealer near you and then take it from there. We are back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Let's get back to a guy who has more experience giving you his opinion than he actually has cooking. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampy. I gotta figure out what the hell that is. That's annoying. That's happened three weeks in a row. I'm gonna have to take the Tower of Power 3 into the shop. Hey, back in the day, watches were made to be worn in the pocket after World War II. Wristwatches came into vogue, and pocket watch quickly became an afterthought, finding their way into sock drawers and scrap heaps. 
quite simply a tragedy. Enter Vortic Watch Company, helping bridge the gap between America's storied watch manufacturing past and bringing it to the present day where wristwatches are finding incredible popularity once again. Here's the coolest part. Each watch that Vortic makes is unique and one of a kind. In other words, nobody will have a watch just like yours. Founded on the motto that America wasn't assembled, it was built. Check out VorticWatches.com for more information. By the way, I'm not bragging, but I'm finally getting my Vortic watch. Not the one I really, really wanted, but there was a prop piece that they had sent me that I fell in love with and said, hey, instead of just this waiting because my patience has worn thin, what about that one so-and-so watch? Well, they took the guts out of it, rebuilt it, and it is on the way to me. You'll see it next week. The Burlington Special Railroad Watch Edition, 51 millimeters. If you're not a watch person, that means nothing to you. This one is 44 millimeters. So seven millimeters bigger than that. Probably, I don't typically wear watches that big. Uh, I'm a 42 to 44 guy. This one specifically fits my wrist really nice. 51, I do already have a 51. That's like the Sam the Cooking Guy one. Uh, but this one will be a 51, and it's I love it. It's so nice. Every minute is individually marked all the way around the, uh, around the dial. Oh, I can't wait. Very excited. Anyway. We've, I think we've done it all. We've covered a bunch of stuff. Everybody's been very good. So much like as school heads into the summer, we're going to let everybody go early. I got all the business taken care of. Uh, hey, we just happen to have a couple openings for sponsorships. So if you're interested, let me know. Greg at the BBQ Show.com. It's very expensive. Most of you can't afford it. But if you have budgets, you want to get in front of the target customer base that you are serving get in touch with me greg at the bbq central show.com we can go ahead and talk about it further from there so let me line it up here real quick so i can do this in a very proper and professional fashion we make tracks to get on out all the way back in the first hour bit of an abridged rod gray segment i would have loved to have had that five or six extra more minutes I don't know if I would have gotten through everything, but we got through most of the important stuff. So we risk Rod good luck. I'm in talks with KCBS board president, and we're lining him up here over the next couple weeks so we can get what it looks like from the board side in hiring a CEO and see where Rod's expectation and the board's expectation is going to come together and hopefully gel very well so they can operate as a cohesive unit. And then, after Rod, we talked with Mike Lang, another Pike please. Mike is going to be doing live demos at the Hartville Hardware Grill Fest 2022, September 17th. That's a Saturday, and we'll be there all day, all the MC. BBQ will be there as well. And then we closed it out with Susie and Todd Bullock. Sands their normal microphone on a much broader microphone, which is why it was a little bit more earth and room incorporated with that, but acceptable because microphone. Two new products are out. Visit HeyGrillHey.com to go ahead and check those out and buy them up if you're interested and subscribe to Todd's effort, the Foodie Podcast, like Food Idiot, but run together, Foodie It, on all the podcast platforms. 
It's the fourth Tuesday of the month next week, 2022, rapidly coming to a close, of course. We will have the bristly barbecue journalist, Derek Riches. We will have the embedded correspondents and Chris Young from Combustion Inc., if you could believe it. So how do I always leave you? September 11, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. Hello, this is Joe with Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue, and you are listening to The Barbecue Central Show.